All right, <clears throat> turning your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 2. We're just doing four verses today. Um, time's a little short, <laughs> and so we'll do the very best that we can. We'll try to get you out of here by at least 1, 1 <laughs> They laughed like I was, it was a joke, huh? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Let's go. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Please stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape? If we neglect such a great salvation, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You may be seated. So this is a very, very powerful section of Scripture, a very powerful four verses. And so I just want to unpack this, see how deep we can go in the time that we have. And I want to, today's message, in my mind, <clears throat> should do at least two things. One, I think, after today's message, if I deliver it rightly and if we rightly understand uh, what I believe God's Word is teaching right here. I believe that, number one, we should have a, a fire lit under our tails that would compel us to run the race with endurance, to put, our, uh, to, to put all of our issues aside, to uh, get into the Word, to pursue after God, to evangelize, to share the gospel, to repent, to grow in faith, that we would be on fire for God. And it, wouldn't, it would no longer be any complacency within our relationship with God. That we would be like animals, pursuing after God, needing Him, driving towards Him. And two that the fear of God would be struck to the deepest depths of our soul. That should we neglect our calling, should we neglect our salvation, that there is no plan B, and that the greatest terrors that you could possibly imagine and beyond are the only things awaiting those who would turn away from Jesus Christ, who is the only means of rescue, salvation, and escape from the wrath of Almighty God. These are the two things, and I think they, are, they go in tandem together. But when we see what Christ has done and who He is, we would run, we would go, we would do, because we know the only alternative of pursuing Christ is to suffer underneath the perfect wrath of Almighty God. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's get in 
to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. How you like my slide I made? No escape. We've got an angel looking up. This is just, I was going to make a slide. I looked around. I was like, man, look at that image. That's exactly right. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. No escape. All right, let's start, break, let's start to break it down. We're going to do uh, verse 1 first, and uh, let's just see how far we get and how far we go. I think we should make it through all four verses. We'll see. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. A couple of things that I want to point out here in this verse that should, I think, capture all of our attention as we move out of chapter 1 and into chapter 2. So, a super quick recap of chapter 1, that Jesus Christ is superior. He's superior to everything. Namely, he's superior to the prophets, he's superior to the fathers, he's superior to the angels, he is the superior revelation, he is the radiance of the glory of God, he is God in the flesh, okay? Uh, remember, as we were moving to an end, verse 8, chapter 1, said, uh, but of the Son, he says, speaking of the Father, but of the, of the Son, the Father says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And he talks about him uh, ruling with the scepter of righteousness, him having loved righteous, righteousness and hated wickedness. And the therefore, what do we always say about a therefore? When you see a therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for? This therefore is pointing us back to what came before. So, in light of all of these realities that we unpacked in chapter 1, and it took us about, what, four weeks to get through chapter 1, maybe five, of some pretty intense stuff. You know, I talked to a few people last week, and they're like, man, that was a bunch of information, <laughs> you know. So, all of that, all of those realities that we learned in the past four weeks, five weeks, in chapter 1... Since all of that is true, therefore, so then, let's do this. This should be the result of what we learned in chapter 1, what we understand now from chapter 1. So, with Jesus being so far superior, high above all the angels, the highest, most exalted that you could possibly be, God of very God, your throne, O oh God, since that's true, we must pay much closer attention. I'm going to stop there for just a second. So this is the first urgent call and warning in Hebrews. So the book of Hebrews is jam-packed with a ton of information, right? A ton of information on Christology, understanding of the Old Testament, who Jesus is, what the priesthood is, what the Levitical sacrifices was for, what the Sabbath is for, what does it mean, where does it point, what's the goal, how does the new covenant relate to the old covenant. So tons and tons and tons of information. But it's also a book of urgent warnings and urgent calls and, and, and encouragement to go and to do lest, and there's a warning. So there's several warnings throughout the book of Hebrews. 
So the flow kind of goes like this. We've already talked about the superiority of Christ. Look to Christ. He's the supreme being, that Christ is God, and that he's better than anything that came before, right? That all things that came before were a copy of the heavenly things. They were shadows. They were types. They all pointed toward Christ. And the whole Old Testament is moving toward Christ, the new covenant, where Christ would fulfill all of it and swallow it all up and be the completion of it and in Christ. Christ is salvation, is life, is the finish line. Jesus is the, he's the founder, he's the creator, he's the one in the middle doing the work, and he's the finish line. It's all about Jesus, right? So as we gain this knowledge of Jesus, as we gain this understanding and insight and discernment of who Christ is, along with it comes uh, these commands and these calls to move, the urgency. we got to go and do and, and love and pursue after Christ because he's so magnificent. And then the warning. Because if you don't, if you go anywhere other than Christ, there remains nothing for you but dread, torment, so on and so forth. There is no plan B. Jesus Christ is it, Right? And so this is the first urgent call and warning in Hebrews. It's flowing right out of the the information and the revelation that we received in chapter 1. So therefore, the force of the call and warning that begins chapter 2 is a direct result of the magnificent realities laid out in chapter 1. The urgent call to action is magnified by the words must, and that's why I circled them up there, and much. Every word is inspired. And when you start to read the Bible like this, you start to see it from different angles and different things that God's wanting to pop out in your mind, right? You could just read over this and move on. But when we read this slowly and we just ask questions, therefore, since all that is true, we must, we must pay much closer attention. He could have just said, since that's true, pay attention. But the the, the author here is emphasizing how great and urgent the need is that we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Now we're going to get into what we have heard and define what that is. But you see this call to action here. We have this, we have this urge that we, need to, that we need to pursue after him and, and pay attention. I talk to you guys all the time. And it's not just a Sunday morning thing, but this is just one way. On Sunday morning, do you come in here because it's what you're supposed to do, and that's what people in the South do, and you want to make sure your kids are in church? Or are you coming here so that you can learn of Christ? And, and, and come to know him better and to understand who he is so you can worship him, so you can love him, so you can share him with others. Do you, do you take notes, mental notes? Do you take, I don't know. Do you, is there a way that you are trying to absorb every word that you can from the word of God so that you might be more mature and capable, able to handle the sword of truth, able to handle the sword of the spirit so that you can do warfare with the enemy? I was talking to my son Ezekiel and Asher on the way to school the other day and one of the verses we do a verse in the morning the verse of the day every morning and I was just talking to them about warfare and and they didn't know what a pulpit was (laughs) because I had just in passing made a statement I said 
you guys don't understand what God is calling you to. He's calling you to go to war, you know. And I like to talk to my boys like this, you know. You need to go to war, you know. And I said, that's what I do every Sunday morning. I said, y'all think I'm just up there preaching? No, I don't, I don't know what y'all think I'm doing, but I don't look at it that way. I'm a very visual person, so I imagine. So I'm up here right now. I'm at war, right? I'm going to war. I'm trying to get my sword out. I'm trying to jab somebody in the throat, right? I'm trying to kill somebody. I'm trying to go to war with demonic powers, principalities, these 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 demons that are swarming all around us and we don't even know it right and so many of our soldiers that's what the christians are there's so you are soldiers in the army of the living god you are called to do battle but we're just walking around lazy getting fat eating chips on the couch playing video games and i told my son i said look what happens i said ezekiel what happens you know he's a tough guy he's always walking around like this I say, Ezekiel, what happens if you get in a fight and you don't know how to punch somebody in the face? You just get punched in the face, right? <laughs> what happens if you go to war? I said, in, in the olden times, before there was uh, weapons, uh, guns, what did they use for warfare a lot? Swords. What happens, Ezekiel, do you think if you go into war, where the war, the best weapon is a sword, and you don't know how to use the sword, what happens? Well, I guess I would get dead. You would. If you don't know how to use the sword, you're done. But, and, and listen, I'm not just fantastic. You know, I'm not just spiritualizing it. Paul's the one that says that, that he takes every thought captive and, and makes it obedient to Christ. This is the language of the Bible, right? Paul's the one that teaches us about the armor of God. Every piece of it. I told him, I said, you got helmet of salvation, the belt of, 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 of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. You got the shoes of the gospel because you fast you know and you don't have no armor on your back that's, that's a warrior once you got no armor on your back because you never turn back no surrender man whoo i ain't supposed to be preaching that let's move on <laughs> but this is a call to action you see what he's doing there and and he's saying you must you must you must why because of who jesus is if it's true do you really believe all the stuff that i told you in the last four or five weeks do you really believe that King Jesus, uh, God, the second member of the Trinity, came down and took on flesh and was made lower than the angels only to prove even in his humanity that he's the perfect son of God, which in which in return he was exalted to the right hand of the Father to command the armies of God? And that he's superior even to the most powerful angel that you could possibly imagine? That compared to him, the angels are nothing that they do his bidding. He says, go, and they say, yes, sir. He says, come, and he sa they, they say, yes, sir. He says, jump, they say, ha-ha. Jesus Christ, you see, if you believe that, do you really believe that? And if you really believe that, what has it done in you? What has it done in you? Here's the call. You've got, you've got to go. Now, a couple of things here. Second part. This, this, this is overlooked in the churches I've been in. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about it, especially in the South. The Bible says, therefore, we must. This is an implorative, it's an imperative. You must, you must pay much closer attention. That's that fine-tooth comb. What are you teaching me, God? What are you, what are you showing me, God? Let me, give, me, give me it all, God. I need it all. I need it all. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to study it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask. Must pay closer attention to what we have heard. We'll come back 
to that in just a second, but check this out. Lest, oh man, lest we drift away from it. Somebody tell me why we don't ever want to talk about that in the South. Somebody tell me. Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. The doctrine of, you might want to hold your amen. The doctrine of once saved, always saved. Now, I'm not going to make a, a whole, uh, wholesale comment here. The doctrine of once saved, always saved can be a very dangerous doctrine, if not understand correctly. We have the idea, especially around here, with the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Now, let me just get this out of the way. I believe when someone is truly born again, they cannot lose their salvation. I think it's better termed as the perseverance of the saints. The idea of once saved, always saved. Now, you can argue, with me, you can argue uh, about this if you want to with me. And maybe in the theological realms, people understand that that is related to and like the perseverance of the saints. But in my experience, the application of the doctrine of once saved, always saved is a cop-out for saying some prayer when you were eight years old and then doing whatever you want to do for the rest of your life because you said some prayer one time and it made a hill of beans of a difference in your life. Now, I'm just trying to tell you the truth. And the truth is, is that the Bible says you better pay attention. You better get to work. There better be action lest we drift away. There is a true possibility that you may have been somewhat enlightened, that you may have said some prayer, but were the true effects of that prayer literal and actual saving faith that made a difference in your life and compelled you forward to be sanctified and conformed to the image of Christ? Or did you remain in the exact same position or get on fire and then drift away? And what happens when we drift away? Those truly saved, those truly saved have security and assurance in Christ. I hold that. Don't go out of here saying that Brandon believes you can lose your salvation. That, that would be a lie. Those truly saved have security and assurance in Christ, but true salvation is never, it's never devoid of transformation action and perseverance now there will be times that you fall every believer has times when they're more in line with christ than others king david himself committed adultery had a child outside of wedlock and killed her husband so that he could cover it up but he was a man after god's own heart and we see that he repented and he was restored it's never devoid of transformation, action, and perseverance. There's always action. There's always movement. And there's never comfortable uh, ease of living while you're consciously and intentionally falling into sin and committing sin. There's always the spirit there that's got you torn up, that you're convicted and that you're seeking God for true change. 
Now, I don't have time to go into the doctrines of justification and assurance and, and all of these things. What I want to do is I just want to point that out because some of you think that it doesn't matter how you live because Jesus is just so loving that he would never, it, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Well, let's test that theory. Before we do, we're going to get to that in just a second, next verse. I think we need to understand what the it is. <clears throat> What's the it? Because we need to know what we need to not drift away from, right? What is it that we shouldn't drift away from? What is it that we need to pay much closer attention to uh, lest we drift away? I think it's pretty obvious. It's what we have heard. But let's connect that now from what we learned from chapter 1. What is the it that we should be careful not to drift away from? It's what we have heard is that which in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. This revelation that's been laid out for us in these last days by God who spoke to us in these last days by the Son. This is the word. This is the message. This is the revelation that we must be peering into continually with fervency that we need to be studying, that we need to be meditating on who Christ is. It's the message of Jesus Christ. It's the message of Jesus Christ as superior, as the only way, as the the only one who can completely purify anybody from sin that we must push into Christ we must go after Christ that we must with a fine-tooth comb with our magnifying glass and with hours of reading and study not because we have to but because of Christ but, but like Christ who loved righteousness and hated wickedness you think God ever had to say now Jesus hurry, come on man study Come on, man, be about my business. No, he loved righteousness. Nobody had to make him get into the, to the Torah. Nobody had to make him read Deuteronomy. All right, now, Jesus, you've got another 30 minutes, so the video games are gone. Nobody had to ever do that, right? No, he loved God. He loved God's word. He loved righteousness. He wanted God. We can see that even early in his life when they lost him on the trip. They had to go back and get him. His mom was all like, Jesus, where was you at? We was looking for you everywhere. And Jesus, is, it seems when I read it, I see him cool as a cucumber. Little, little, little advanced in years for his age. He's like, Mama, ain't you know, I'm about my father's business. How did you not just come straight back here? You should have known. She would have slapped him maybe. I don't know. Oh, okay, here. I, got, I do got this one. This is cool now. I got stuck last night. I told my wife, I put them to bed, tucked them all in, said, I'm going to go finish up my sermon stuff, final touches. 2.30 this morning, I'm studying math equations. And I'll tell you why, because I think it would be helpful for you. I want to show. This word drift right here, man, I'm, I, I, what time is it? God. This word drift right here, very, very cool word. We could do this with every word. This is not the Bible. It's so magnificent. This word drift right here, this is a really cool word, and, and it's, it'll be very helpful to you, I promise. The key to this word is this, like, when I was young, I grew up single parent home for the most part. My mama was single mom, worked her tail off to provide for me, didn't want to take government assistance, never did that I know of, 
provider. I was running wild in the streets, just had to be home for the street lights was on, and uh, started making some bad decisions. Now, I wasn't a, a horrible kid, you know, like 8, 9, 10 years old. When I was 11, I smoked weed for the first time, 11 years old. Well, everybody around me smoked weed. You know, my mama parted at that time. Her friends parted. I saw them doing it. You know, they tried to hide it, but you can't, you can't hide, you know. Now every time I smell a skunk, that's all I can think of, right? <laughs> and so when I was 11, I snuck, I snuck into my mama's room, stole a little roachy roach, and started. Now, I ain't got time for my whole testimony, but by the time I was 18, 19 years old, somewhere in there, I was a meth head, being up for weeks at a time, week, a week at a time, stealing cars, robbing drug dealers, had been to jail nine times before I was 20 years old. Now, I didn't just wake up one day and say, I think I want to be a meth head, right? Does anybody wake up and just be like, yeah, crack today? Daniel, you ever woke up and be like, man, I think I'm going to give me a crack pipe today. Huh? <laughs> Don't answer that. You see what I'm saying? Nobody ever wakes up and they're like, you know, what do they do? They drift. They drift. I, this was pretty cool. Okay, I need to move on, so I'm going to do it. Now, Heather says, never do math in church. You get nervous and uh, your math never works. But I studied this for like an hour and a half last night. I'm doing it. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty simple. And I've already done the math, so I can't mess it up. This is the one in 60 rule. I didn't know anything about this until the word drift stuck out to me. And I started studying and Googling drifting. And, I, you know, the idea of ships drifting off course was, you know, already in my mind. And I started researching that. Well, I found out a lot. Planes have this. And uh, as a matter of fact, I didn't know this. You probably know this. Yeah. I mean, I know you're not a pilot, but you're around this stuff all the time. That did you know that a plane is actually off course about 98 to 99% of the time? I did not know that. You know, the job of the pilot is to continually help correct and steer it back on course. And it's not like it's like, you know, going down. The issue is, is that the course is pretty much a, 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 a continual path to the destination. You see it like that all the time anyway, drawn out. Well, the problem is, is that the plane is big. It's kind of, it's not like it's a little sports car, you know, stay. No, it, it, there's wind pressures and there's atmospheric stuff and all this kind of stuff. Anyway. All these different pressures and winds is continually blowing it off course, and you correct. It, it goes a little off course this way, and you correct it. It goes up a little bit, and you correct it. You hit a pocket, and, you know. That's when you're in a plane, you feel a little, you know, like this, you know. Well, as a matter of fact, that's that plane going off course like two or three degrees. And then the, the, you know, autopilot too, but the pilots, they're, they're bringing it back on. Oh, we're off, we're bringing it back on, right? So that what? So that it doesn't drift away. This just, oh, man, ah, yeah, see. Would this not apply to the pilots? It's say, look, if you get off course, you will run out of gas, crash in the ocean, and die. That's the reality. Therefore, you better must 
pay much closer attention to the path that you've been on lest we drift away and die, right? This is what Jesus is saying. The one in 60 rule. This is pretty cool. So, don't tell me what time it is. The one in 60 rule basically is, is that, with, now this is a one, you probably can't see that. Oh, there it is right there. A one degree, uh, a one degree shift off course. If, you're, if you have a one degree shift off course for every 60 nautical miles that you travel, you, you, you go one nautical mile off course, right? So if you're going to a destination and you're one degree off course, just one. So if I'm standing here, my destination is that way, one degree. Just barely turn, right? One degree off course for every 60 nautical miles that you travel, you're one nautical mile away from your destination, all right? Now, just to make, give that a little bit of relevance, does that make sense to you? 60 nautical miles equals one nautical mile out off course, right? Or six, the reason it's got feet is, is that one nautical mile is 6,000 uh, feet. I didn't know that either. Now I do. Well, oh, I put it down here. Let me, okay, so I won't write all this up there, but I did a little research. It's 3,000 nautical miles from Paris to New York. Pretty interesting fact. A one degree shift, one degree shift in the path. It, it will put you 50 miles off course, one degree, which is 300,000 feet off course. If you have a 20-degree shift from your course, it will put you 1,000 miles off course, 1,000 miles off course, which is 6 million feet away from the destination that you originally began to go to that you originally set out to land or wherever six million feet 20 degree shift now I don't have time I, I had another one but you see the point you see we never in our life in, in in as Christians we never say oh I think I'll just hate God and die and go to hell like nobody's ever said well man there's probably been one or two but the sane person you know they don't say that what happens you decide, I'm going to sleep in this Sunday. Ah, I'll read the Bible later. Prayer, I ain't really seen no effects. Yeah, I'll pray. You know, it's just little, little bitty things. So be careful. Be careful when you drift away. Okay, I got a few more minutes. I need to get this one in with it. I know, Heather. Keep that in your mind. He said, since you know that, you better pay close attention lest you drift away from Christ, from that revelation. Why? For? Because. This goes back to the once saved, always saved, and the dangers that can be associated with the idea that it's one and done. I said the prayer doesn't matter how far I drift away. Well, he's the one that said, the author of Hebrews, this apostle, has said, you better be careful. You better pay, you must pay much closer attention lest you drift away. Because, for, 
since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You see where my title came from, No Escape. I want to move on to show you a few things here. I, I meditated on this scripture alone right here, trying to figure out exactly what he meant by since the angels declared, since the, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape? What does that mean? Since the message of angels proved to be reliable, that every disobedience and every transgression received a just retribution, and I studied a lot on it, I meditated a lot on it, this is what the Lord, and man, he just, he nailed me with it last night. Okay, so the whole book is about all the shadows and foreshadows and types of the Old Testament, finding their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And what do we understand the Old Testament to be most of the time, especially at a surface level read? And I hear this all the time. Well, the Old Testament was kind of godded as old cranky age, and the New Testament is really more of loving, kind Jesus who sacrificed himself, and he just loves everybody, right? There's not, the wrath isn't very, you know, it's not really talked about that much in the New Testament. It's just love, and it's just acceptance and mercy and grace. And there is a lot of love, acceptance, mercy, and grace. But what do we make of this? If we drift away from Jesus, the greatest revelation, the full revelation, we can't escape. Because those who came before, those who heard the message before, they didn't escape. What? Check this out. No one has ever, no one has ever gotten away with anything. Ever. Ever. Every sin has and will always justly receive the wrath of God. All of that that we read in the Old Testament, whether it be the destruction, just think of all those that perished in fire and flame, swallowed up by the earth when they contended with Moses, destroyed by locusts, abandoned to wander in the wasteland of the desert and to perish. For God refused to allow them in there into his promised land. The wrath of God poured out on thousands, whole nations slaughtered at the sword, men, women, and children, and all the animals. And everybody looks at that and goes, man, that's harsh. I'm so glad we're in the New Testament. You have no idea. You have, this is, you've been, ah, you have no idea. If the Old Testament, think about it, guys, think about it. If the Old Testament hearers were expected to come to God by faith, and we know it was by faith, because salvation comes no other way, even in the Old Testament. Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, by faith, by faith, by faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. There's never been escape. There's never been salvation by any other means than faith. And under the message that was proclaimed long ago in various ways, in many different ways, 
It was proclaimed to them by the prophets without the full revelation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, hearing this shadowy, typological, vague message, they were held accountable to have faith. They were held accountable to believe and to trust God. If they were expected to come come to God by faith through the shadowy and typological message given of the coming Messiah and held accountable. Do you understand that? That even through the vague, and, and there, it was there, it was there. But even though it was shadowy and harder to see, it, draped and, 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 and hidden within tabernacles and temples and, and sacrifices and all of these things. It was there, but it was so much harder to see because the greater revelation, the fuller revelation came in Christ. But they, even then, were expected to believe and held accountable for it. They were held accountable for it. We look at those guys and we say, well, they should have knew better. How often do we look in the mirror? With all the truth and all the messages. They were held accountable for their disobedience and transgressions with the limited revelation that they had. Don't get me wrong, it's all there. The Old Testament is the holy inspired word of God. The whole gospel is in the Old Testament. But it's all in shadows and types and figures pointing to the great Messiah. Well, if if they were held accountable... With these shadowy messages, how are we going to escape? What will we say? What will we say when it was proclaimed to us that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that he is the last and great high priest, that he is the king that David could only imagine being, that he is God come in the flesh, that we have heard it as plain as the nose on our face and have turned our noses up at it or maybe even winked at it and walked away as if saying some prayer because everybody else did was enough. But we spurn God. We turn our noses up at him and we walk away thinking that because we did this thing, said this prayer that, that we're good now because God isn't mean anymore. You understand the implications of this. Everyone is thinking that they can do as they please and not as he pleases. They think that the mean God of the Old Testament is a thing of the past. They think that Christ is a weak pushover that so wants us to like him that he will not require our lives even if we neglect him. We have been blinded, duped, fooled, lulled to sleep. The wrath of God in the Old Testament was just as shadowy as everything else. You you read the Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament, you think, man, that was rough. You have no idea. The Old Testament is child's play to what King Jesus will do to his enemies In the day of judgment, King Jesus pours out perfect wrath. Revelation tells us that the wrath of God is poured out in the presence of the Lamb. That Jesus Christ, he misses no opportunity 
to bring about the suffering that you didn't even know that you could have if you stand against him. There is no spot of pain that he cannot see. There is no innocence for those that have spurned the sacrifice of the son of the living God. There only, only remains the wrath of the living God that is poured out full force upon those who would deny him. The Old Testament was a shadow and a type. Think about in the flood, the entire earth wiped out. Only a few saved as Noah brought them into the floating tomb. Noah was a type of Christ. And the flood was a type of the destruction. It was just a shadow of the destruction and the wrath and the judgment that will be poured out at the end on all those who neglect salvation and who turn their nose up at Christ. You see the full force and the weight of this warning? It's magnificent. There is no escape if we neglect such a great salvation. Last verse. Right. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Not complicated at all. The clarity, fullness, and magnitude of the revelation of the Son that we see in chapter 1. You see how it just flows right out of chapter 1, what he's saying. Fourfold clarity. Declared by Jesus Christ himself, attested to us by the apostles, those who had heard firsthand what happened. It was demonstrated by God by signs, wonders, and various miracles, substantiating, verifying, evidencing that this was God, that this was the word of God. And it was proven by God's distribution of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see these here. It was declared at first by the Lord. It was a test to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs, wonders, various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. We could get into that. That's a great verse on the gifts of the Spirit and why they exist. People want to make money off of them. That's a whole other sermon. So to wrap all of this up, you guys can come on up. To wrap all of this up, this is the message in these last days that God has spoken to us by his son. But don't ever forget that the message beforehand was very vague. It received more clarity. It received more clarity. But even in the shadowy, typological uh, words of the Old Testament, they were still held accountable. How about I do you one even better than that? How about those who never even had the law of Moses or the Mosaic Covenant or the Abrahamic promises, who had never heard the flood story of Noah? How about this? Even they, not even having the shadowy revelation of the Old Testament that pointed to Christ in a fairly complete way. What about this? Romans 1, 18 through 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them in creation by what he has made. Even those that have not even received the shadowy revelation encapsulated in the word of God that was given to the prophets. Even those outside of that. That has never even heard any of that. Just them looking around and seeing the beautiful creation that God wove together and, and organized and, and, and holds it up. Even that. They're expected to see and fall down and worship the Creator. People, let's all stand to our feet. Let me end this way. We'll be on the upside next week. So this was a, if you're first time, my bad. Look, I didn't decide when to come here, right? But this is so needed. Jesus Christ is not some toy you can play with for a little while and then toss him. He's God. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the prophets. He's superior to Moses. His wrath is superior to the wrath poured out in the Old Testament. If they couldn't get away, if they couldn't escape, even under what they had heard, and that, that message proved to be reliable, to justly pay everyone for their sins how brothers and sisters how are we going to escape if we neglect such a great salvation such a magnificent revelation with so much clarity and so much so much revelation and and, and it's so beautiful beautifully presented to us by the bible don't turn don't turn from the truth. Fight against your urges. Mortify the flesh. Kill the flesh. Don't let it rise up. Walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. Don't you understand that those who sow according to the flesh, they reap death. But those who sow according to the spirit, they reap life and peace. Don't turn. Don't drift. Even one degree. Be the pilot. You see the action called here. Now, I'm a sovereign grace guy. I believe that God saves. But I also believe that God has put his spirit in you so that you would move along with him and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That you would be that pilot. That you would be that one that is watching course. That you're reading the Bible. That you're looking at your life. That you are examining your heart, as Paul said. That you are looking in the mirror and you're going... Where are you going, Brandon? Whoa, hold on, boy. We're back over here. Whoa, we're back over here. See, the pilot, he's continually putting it back on course, back on course, back on course. Because we've got to get to the destination. Run the race with endurance. If you're outside of God's will today and you're off course, you might be one degree, you might be two, you might be 20, you might be 50 degrees off course. The beautiful thing is, is that God can bring you back in line just like that. Get on your face, child of God. Repent. Repent.
Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and put you right back on course. Build you up. Lift you up. If you've never gotten on course, hey, let's get it right today. Today is the day of salvation. Don't waste another minute. I promise you this. Go read the Old Testament. That ain't nothing. That's a drop in the bucket. That's a shadow. That's a type. You think God was mean in the Old Testament, which he wasn't, by the way. He was just. But you think he was mean in the Old Testament? No, he was just. And wait till the perfect justice comes for those of us who have heard about the Son and said, forget that. I don't care. I promise you don't want to be there. Jesus is a bad man. He's the baddest man that's ever touched the face of the earth. And when I say bad, I mean awesome. Don't fight against him. He's never fought a battle that he did not win. And he never will. Bow down on your face today. Come to Christ.